Okay, I, I forget. I don't need my computer. I get it all set up. And uh, Did you guys get notes? There are notes in the back and pens if you need them. If you don't have one, actually, if you don't have one, raise your hand and we'll get you one. Anybody need one? All right. Uh, okay. Thank you, Fred. Fred will, Fred will bring one up to you. Um, so, if you're new, we have been going through a, a series called Fundamentals of the Family, um, and, uh, and we have talked about uh, the foundational things that must be at place in any believer's life, but definitely uh, in the family. Uh, we talked about what marriage is biblically, how God ordained marriage and, and, and uh, created marriage. Um, we talked about the roles of the husbands and the wives, and now... We are going to talk about the fundamental roles of the parent and the child, focused particularly on parenting. Um, and this comes from a, mainly from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And I think I told you this as we started. Really, most of this is just stemming out of, of studying Ephesians. Um, but I'm also trying to put together um, something that will help us just look at what does the Bible say about these uh, different aspects of the family. Uh, and the purpose of all this is for each of us to... Uh, to grow in humility, uh, to grow in our understanding of what the Lord has called us to be, uh, to see, again, our, just, our need for him to, uh, to uh, even uh, allow us to be able to do any things we've, we talk about. You know, we talk about the roles of husband or wife or parents. Uh, all these things are, um, are very uh, uh, weighty. Uh, they're, they're, the standard is Christ every time, and so it's always well above our own abilities and means, and, and uh, I think every time it reminds us uh, that, that we need to be on our knees, we need to be in the Word, we have to be um, uh, running to Him constantly, both for wisdom, strength, um, and uh, the ability to do these things. So if you've missed any of the last ones, we do have uh, the notes in the back for sessions one through four. We're in session five, and this is the fundamental role of the parent and the child. Um, and I'm just going to dive right in. This was, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of notes. Um, we'll move through it kind of quick. But uh, this, this was a very humbling study. Uh, I tell you, as, especially as um, a parent, uh, just uh, you know, not only seeing uh, the things that the Lord has called you to, but just even looking and assessing and examining my own heart and mind and just seeing where you, you begin to coast, uh, seeing places that you've uh, either neglected or forgotten about, or sometimes just, uh, you know, your, your children are in different places, and, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still acting on toddler mode, and I've got a 13-year-old sort of thing, you know what I mean? And so, uh, so anyway, this was a blessing for me, and I pray it'll be a blessing for you, whether your children are newborns or even out of the house. You never stop being a parent. Um, and, uh, but like I said, this is more of a survey of what the Bible does say, uh, and then the role of the child and the parent. So... Just follow along with me in your notes, and we're going to start at the top. So parents are divinely appointed guardians, preachers, and shepherds of their children, of the children God has entrusted to their care. Parents have the responsibility to teach their children to know, love, fear, cherish, and follow Jesus Christ. And his truth should, should surround us, uh, pour forth from our lips, manifest itself in our actions, define our character, and be evident in our homes. And that's universal, whether our children are toddlers or all the way up. Uh, that never ends. Um, and, uh, and we'll talk more about Deuteronomy 6 when we get there. 
I read a lot of stuff this week. There's a lot. Well, actually, I have a, um, a quote at the bottom. Look down to the bottom. I probably should have put this at the top. At the very bottom, the second to the last little paragraph thing there, was a quote that I got from uh, George Barna. I, you know, Tim referenced Barna in there. They do all these, the, the whole group does, just does all these uh, surveys and have all these different statistics. But this was interesting. He said in his book, George Barna wrote a book called uh, Revolutionary Parenting. I did not read much of the book. I just read the intro because I heard this stat was in there, and I'm like, I'm going to go look it up. <laughs> it says, if you took all the books available today on parenting and divided them by the number of days in a year you would discover that there has been an average of 10 new parenting books produced every day of the year for each of the past 21 years. That's more than 75,000 different parenting books currently at your disposal. And I actually, I wrote down the date and forgot to put it in here that he wrote that, but this is a few years ago. I mean, this is maybe a decade ago, somewhere in that range. I mean, this isn't the newest uh, survey. Uh, But that being said, it just shows you there are many, many, many resources out there on parenting. Um, and, uh, and they're not, <laughs> most of them are, are just garbage. There's just a lot of words out there, uh, that, 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 that are, uh, that can become confusing and, uh, and things like that. And what we're going to see today is the Lord has made it very simple and very clear. Uh, but now go back up to the top to this quote. This actually came from a book, uh, by William Farley called Gospel Power Parenting. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, the best part is the beginning. Uh, so if you're going to read it, you know, and if you're like, this is kind of big, at least read the first three chapters. But this was something that he said, and this is, I think, what has to be in our minds uh, no matter where we are in our parenting. And this was a, just a powerful quote. He said, Christians parent with one eye on eternity. Their children will live forever. This is a staggering thought. We cannot imagine forever. Nevertheless, The destiny of our children either will be love that surpasses knowledge, joy, inexpressible and full of glory, coupled with the peace that passes understanding. He's talking about heaven. Or it will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Talking about hell. There is no middle ground. Therefore, the Christian does not parent for this life only. The believing parent labors to prepare each child for the day of judgment. The stakes are inexpressibly high. Christian parenting is the process of preparing our children for the day of judgment. Like I said, I think that, I'm not there experientially, but I would say even when your children have left the house and they're not submitting to you or maybe listening to you anymore, you're still doing this work as you pray for them, as you're patient with them, as you're calling them to Christ when you have the opportunity. But when they're in the home, it's one of those things that it's, it's easy to forget in the daily stuff, you know? Uh, in the, in the in, you know, as they're, you know, you're worried about their grades or you're, you're worried about their behavior or you're worried about these things that seem so big in the moment. Uh, and, and I think this was what hit me with this is you've got to pull back out and you've got to see what is the, the long game here. Our, all of our children will one day stand before Jesus Christ, either as their Lord, Savior, friend, King, um, and, 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 and God, or they'll stand before him as their eternal judge. And I think that helps us in the midst of the weeds, you know, to pull back out and go, okay, we got we to gotta look at the, the big picture here. Um, so I thought that was a really a great quote, and it kind of is a good way to, to start out what we're talking about here today. Uh, just like we've already learned, you cannot be a faithful, godly parent if you are not being a faithful and godly spouse. Oh, that's right. I don't have the blanks with me. But you got a blank there, spouse. <laughs> you cannot be a faithful parent if you're not being a faithful spouse. Uh, the next line, you cannot be a faithful and godly spouse if you are not living faithfully to Christ. 
And again, we talked about that. These were the foundational things at the very beginning. You have to be born again. You have to be walking in the spirit. Uh, you have to be walking in submission in order to, to do these things. You can't be unsubmissive to the Lord here and then a faithful and godly parent. You can't be uh, controlled by the flesh over here and then think that you're going to be a, 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 a spirit-driven parent. Um, you cannot be a faith, faithful to Christ if you're not living in obedient, submissive, humble, selfless, sacrificial love. And again, Philippians 2 is the example of Christ doing nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. Both humility of mind regarding one another is more important than yourselves. This plays out for parents. This is all relationships. We are not merely looking out for our own interests, but the interests of others, having this attitude that was in Christ. And then I put Ephesians 4 and 5 there to give you the big picture context of where these verses are coming from in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Therefore, in light of everything that Christ has done for us, what you were, what you now are in him, him predestined, uh, 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 knowing you before the foundation of the world, calling you to be his child, he says, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So he has called you as, as his ambassador, as, as, his, um, as his brother, as, as one of his people. So live to the standard of the calling with which you have been called. And you yourself profess to be his, so live worthy of that calling. And then he shows what it looks like, humility, gentleness, patience. And that is full, complete humility, full, complete gentleness to the level of Christ. And then Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, again, same admonition worded in a different way. He says, therefore be imitators of Christ um, as beloved children. So you claim to be a child of God. I'm sorry, be, uh, imitators of God. You claim to be a child of God. Then, then live. Think, speak, and live like a child of God. And then he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So those are just foundational principles for all believers. We are all to imitate Christ with humility uh, and, and selflessness, because that was his attitude, that was his heart and mind when he was on earth. So if you want to see uh, a human version of, of absolute perfect holiness and perfect love, it's Christ, so imitate him. And then walk worthy, imitate God, imitate Christ. So how do we apply that to parenting? Well, that's where that quote comes in. You don't listen to the 75,000 books that are out there. You open this book right here, and it's very clear, and it's very simple, and we're going to talk about that today. <clears throat> so on the next page, uh, and again, I've got to look at your blanks here. The, the first, uh, the, the heading there is the role of children. I thought, you know, I was going to jump right into parenting, and then I just thought, we have to know what the Lord has called our children to in order to faithfully shepherd our children to do what the Lord has called them to do. So very quickly, I just want to look at what children are called to be. And again, we're not talking about born-again children. We're talking about children in the church that are being raised in our homes. This is the standard that the Lord has called them to. They're to be these three things. Um, And the first thing is parents must teach their children submission. Number one is parents must teach their children submission. In his word, God gives two commands to children, both of which are born out of Submission. Uh, Within the hierarchy of the home, the husband is the head of the wife, the parents are the authority of the children, and the children are to submit to their parents. Wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to submit to Christ. So all of us are acting in submission. You have Ephesians 5.21 that reminds us that we're all to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. But then within the home, there's a hierarchy of how the Lord has ordered the home and ordained the home, ordained the family. Uh, and it is that the, the husband is the head, the wife submits to the husband, the children submit to the parents. And the uh, husband is submitting to Christ in all things. 
So parents are to teach submission uh, by instruction and an example. Again, James 4, 7, that says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, be filled with the Spirit. And part of being filled with the Spirit is that last line, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So if we are Spirit-filled parents, if we are submitting to the Lord and, and exemplifying Christ-like character, then one of the things that we are going to be is submissive, self-sacrificing uh, parents, and that's what we do, and, and we teach our children to submit. In fact, I mean, one of the main reasons you're teaching your children to learn how to submit is because one day they're going to face the Word of God, and you are trying to teach them principles that get them to see that, that, that they must be submissive because they're going to have to submit to Christ or they're going to have to reject Christ. Does that make sense? That's, the, again, the big picture. Um, number two, parents must teach their children obedience. Parents must teach their children obedience. Paul Shirley, in his book, The Christian Home, says, When you teach obedience to your child, you are training them to submit to God's authority, even when they don't like it or understand it. Uh, that's, and that's a good character trait to teach to, to anyone, but especially to our children. The ultimate motivation for obedience is rooted in the fact that it is right. I mean, that's what the Lord says, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's very simple. You obey, why? Because it's right. Why? Because it's right. Why? Because it's right. That's what God says. I mean, it doesn't get any deeper than that. Uh, we know that it is right for children to obey their parents because God commanded it, and he is never wrong. So, again, that's, that's a good point. If it, if it was not right, then God would be wrong. So who's right here, the, the child or God? When parents and children alike forget this point, they begin to waver on the requirements of obedience. Kids begin to question the need for obedience when it contradicts their own sensibilities, which is exactly what you do as adults, right? We, we, we're like, I'll obey the Lord, but then we're like, but I don't know if this is, you know, I just feel like it would be better to do something different in this circumstance or situation. Well, you know, and every, I mean, we always have some reason. Um, and so, uh, but, but kids need to see that uh, you have to obey the Lord even when it contradicts your own perceptions or, or sensibilities. Parents begin to question the need to enforce obedience when it contradicts their own comfort. And parents and kids alike must remember that children must obey parents because it is right in God's eyes. And that comes straight from Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 and Colossians 3, 20. Both times, look, children, obey, imperative command, parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor, imperative command, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. It doesn't mean it was the first commandment in the Ten Commandments that has a promise. It just means it's the first one that you must obey because you're a child and it has a promise attached to it. Uh, so that it may be well with you and you may live long in the land. And then uh, Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So, again, that's the, the main principle. You want to teach your children what obedience and submission look like because that is what pleases God. And that's what God has called them to, to, to be as children. And then number three, parents must teach their children reverence or honor. Now, the reason I use the word reverence is because this is what I teach your children if you send them to Adventure Club on Wednesday nights. And this is what we're going to start telling them in the Sunday schools. This is something that we talked about in our last leadership meeting, and it just hit me that I can't believe we haven't done this before. But we're teaching your kids to soar, all right? And so every week we tell them that you are called to be submissive, obedient, and respectful, and that is the soar. And so, so we're teaching them that in all things. So if your teachers say it's time to play on the playground, then how do you be respectful? You play on the playground. If your teachers tell you it's time to listen, then how do you honor them? 
you, you listen. You know, how do you obey? How do you submit? So um, this is what we need to be teaching all of our children, no matter what. You know, you guys need to hear that. I need to soar. You need to soar. We need to be teaching our kids to soar. So submission, obedience, and reverence. Um, and, uh, and that comes straight from Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, for the children. As parents, teach, uh, as parents teach children to submit, obey, honor, and respect, they are shepherding their hearts towards the gospel and teaching them the path of holiness, maturity, and Christ-likeness. Again, I've heard people say we can't teach our children this because they don't know the Lord yet, and they're not born again, so they're not able to do that. We're not talking about them uh, producing fruit of the Spirit and being born again. First thing, if you're not teaching them these principles to begin with, then you are teaching them something, right? Again, we're going to talk about that later in Proverbs. If you let a child train himself up in the way that he goes, he will not depart from it. And that, that's a negative verse, by the way. It's, it's not train them right so they'll remain in the right way. It's if you let them train themselves, they will remain in that path. And what it means is if you allow a child to have what they want, to think how they want, to live the way they want, to speak how they want, to not be submissive and obedient, then just give that 18 years and see where you're at. They're going to be much better at it when they're 20, and they're going to continue in that path for the remainder of their life, apart from the Lord doing something majestic and miraculous, which is all of our salvation. But again, it doesn't, you can't pull that back, and it, it doesn't override your obligation and responsibility as parents to teach them these principles. Teach them what obedience looks like. Even the world teaches their children principles, right? I mean, many of them we would say are evil principles, but they are teaching. Uh, many of them we would disagree with, or we would say are worldly oriented, but they are teaching their children things. Sometimes they're teaching their children to be hard workers. They're teaching their children to go to good schools. They're teaching their children education is priority. They're teaching their children things like that. You need to teach your children that submission, obedience, and honor are top priority because God said these are top priority in his word. Does that make sense? So teach your children these principles. Whether or not they're born again and they come to him, that's in his court. But in our court is... Parents, we have to teach our children these things. There are dire warnings in the Bible for children who dishonor and disrespect their parents without repentance. The Old Testament, uh, this warranted death, the death penalty. I threw some verses in there, but we don't have time to look at all those things. But just to let you, the point there is to say it's a big deal in God's eyes that a child is disrespectful and, 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 and does not honor and revere their parents. Um, and so if God was the governor of our nation, well, there would be a death penalty attached to that. You know, and so thank, thank the Lord that by his wonderful grace, you know, we, we are in a place where our children can disobey and there's a, a chance after that for repentance. Uh, not that there wasn't repentance for disobedience. I mean, these are obstinate children in Israel. But the point being is, is you got to look at that and you got to go. God takes this very seriously. And I think the New Testament gives the same testament, if you look at it, the normalization of disobedient children is an indication that a culture is under the wrath of God currently because of the suppression of truth by those who profess to know the truth. And we have two very clear examples in Romans 1 and in 2 Timothy 3. In Romans 1, you have a culture, and this is the end. I mean, this is after the sexual revolution, the homosexual revolution. You're at the very end where the Lord has given a culture over to a completely depraved mind, and this is what it looks like. It says that God gave them over. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God any longer. And God gave them over to a depraved mind. And there's a whole list of what describes that culture, which is our culture to a T. So this, we are under the judgment of God and have been for a, a long time. But one of the things in there 
is the children are disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give heartily approval to those who practice them. So our culture thinks it is fine for children to be rebellious and disobedient. You cannot. And even if the culture around you just says that's part of toddlerhood, you know, that's part of adolescence, that's part of being a teenager, God has a completely different assessment. And so it's not okay for our children to rebel. It is part of our culture. We are under the judgment of God. It is normal in society. But that does not make it okay for us, right? There's a lot of things that are normal in society that you know that you can't partake of, right? There's a lot of things that the society has named either legal or it is rampant around us, and you are fighting daily to abstain from, to distance from, and to not be a part of, right? Well, one of those things is disobedient children. They're going to disobey, but it's not okay. Does that make sense? And they're going to, 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 to fight their own flesh and sinfulness, but you are there as their guardians to help them to know they must submit, obey, and honor. And so we have to remember that. It doesn't matter if the psychological books say this is normal. It doesn't matter if there's labels for different disorders and all that. You're not a part of that. What matters is what does the Lord say? And bring it back down to that. Second Timothy, same thing. In the last days, difficult times will come. We are in the last days, and difficult times are here. Um, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Again, we reread these lists, and we're like, oh, man, wickedness and greed, murder, strife, deceit. And we're like, yeah, that's bad. And then we're like, disobedient to parents, and we're like, oh, that's not that bad. It, it is just as bad. Murder and disobedience to parents to God's, in God's standard are the same, if you want to say that. They both warrant his eternal judgment. So don't look at it because the society tells you it's normal and then say, well, it's just normal. It's, it's sinful. That's what it is. It's normal because it's sinful, but it's our job as guardians to drive them towards submission, obedience, and repentance. Whether or not they're born again, that's just part of parenting. The prevalence of disobedience in our culture is an indicator that we're under the judgment of God and have been delivered over to depravity. It's a sign of condemnation. To fail, I mean, teach your children that. If they're like, well, no other parent does that, be like, well, listen, our society is under the judgment of God. I mean, do you want to run straight into that and be a part of that? Or do you want to stay over here with us who know him and love him and, and will be spared his eternal wrath? To fail to teach your children to please Christ by submission, obedience, and reverence is to identify with the culture rather than God and to usher your children towards eternal wrath of God. To withhold discipline and instruction for your children is not love. It is child abuse that you will be accountable for at the judgment of God. Remember that too. You can't, you can't, you can't um, abdicate on this and be like, well, you know, I tried and they just were really, really hard. It's like you're going to stand before the Lord for your faithfulness as a parent. Your child will stand before the Lord for their own character and their own decisions. But, but as a parent, you've got to stand against those things. And love your child all the way through. Even if they rebel to the very end, you love them, but you call them to Christ. And we have a high calling as parents to shepherd the hearts of the children that God has entrusted to us. It's a heavenly stewardship, which leads us to the stewardship of parents. Any question on the, the role of children? Like I said, I know I went through that quick, but I, I felt like we had to have that in there. Because you've got to know what to tell your children with clarity, right? Submission, obedience, honor, reverence. All right, so the stewardship of parents. It, it, yes. 
the judgment of God? Like in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, well, the very end, in Revelation 20, you have the great white throne. That is the final judgment. But, man, I mean, if you want to talk about the, the um, temporal judgment that happens in this life, it's throughout Scripture. You know, the, many times with Israel, as they disobeyed the Lord, rebelled against him, set up idols, I mean, you got different... Uh, I mean, he, he laid it out up front uh, in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy um, uh, in, in Exodus, uh, what would happen when they do disobey. Um, and, then, and then the Old Testament is kind of that plan out. I mean, the majority of it, you know. And the New Testament, uh, there's, Romans 1 is a very good example of God's judgment here. But the eternal judgment um, is, well, I mean, there's, there's, other, there's, there's plenty of examples in the Old Testament also of, of the final judgment. Revelation as a whole is the final judgment here on earth. But when we talk about the great white throne, the throwing into the lake of fire, all that, Revelation 20 is your, your best place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. Well, I mean, first, first I mean, I think, I think as young as possible, you want to be teaching, you know? I mean, I, you know, I don't think a three-year-old is even going to comprehend what the eternal wrath of God is. But, but, I mean, we're an adventure club, and we're talking about separation from God. And, I mean, those kids get, I mean, my, my little girl's six. You know, she was five when we started, and she's grasping things. Kids understand a lot. Um, but we'll talk about, actually, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into more of the, the nuances of, of how, how often do you discipline and how much discipline versus how much instruction and all that when we get to the very end of this. Um, but those are also good questions. Uh, l- let's get through it. How about that? And then, and then we'll, it might actually answer that question. So the stewardship of parents. Parents are stewards of God's precious children. I think this is one of the first things that, that is good for us to get into our minds is they are our children. They, are, they, they, were, they were born of us. They belong to us. Uh, but, but above that, they actually belong to God first. Uh, we're stewards of his children. We're representatives of God for his children. Especially if you're born again, then God has put you there as a representative of him to them. Does that make sense? You're the one that is supposed to get to them his truth and his word. And we are mediators between God and his children to exemplify and proclaim his truth with clarity and love. So... I think that's one of the first things we have to understand. These children were crafted by him, made by him. They belong to him. He's given to, to us, entrusted them to us. We have a responsibility and a stewardship. Um, Ezekiel 16 and Psalm 139 are both just some uh, uh, verses that talk about that. Even though these are sons and daughters, he, he says they're your sons and daughters, but he calls them his children when they offer them to uh, idols. He's basically saying, uh, they belong to me. Psalm 139, just talk, David's talking about how God wove him together in his mother's womb. So all children have been woven together, um, crafted by God. Uh, in, the, in his book was written all the days uh, that were formed for them before there was any. So in other words, God has numbered all of our days, and all of those things are a universal truth. Our children have been entrusted to us by the one who made them. And he has given very specific and explicit instruction on what we are to do with his children. So you and I, as parents, don't have the option to parent our children the way we want to. We have to parent our children the way that 
their father who gave them to us has commanded us. Does that make sense? Now, again, it's going to look different in the sense of how it plays out in our homes or the personalities of the children and the parents and things like that, but the standard never changes. Does that make sense? It's like, like love or gentleness or kindness, right? All of us are called to absolute love. We must love one another. We are called to be gentle with one another to the level that Christ was gentle and to be patient. That's going to look different. And the way that I express that and do that as opposed to the way you may express that and do that, but we both have to be uh, uh, aiming at, uh, 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 our minds trained by, and then acting on that standard. Does that make sense? And so it's the same thing with parenting. And here's the things that we have the responsibility for with these children that the Lord has given to us. One, we have the responsibility to love, uh, nurture, nourish, cherish, and protect his children. Two, we have the responsibility to exemplify holiness, Christ-like character to his children, imitating Christ. Three, we have the responsibility to instruct his children. And he specifically has told us that. We need to speak his truth from his word to his children with clarity and patience so that they know him, love him, fear him, and follow him. I know that none of us have the ability to save anyone else's souls. And I know that none of us have the ability to sanctify any other human being. We can't even do that for ourselves. All of that takes the work of God. That's understood. There's still a responsibility, right? You know you can't save your own soul, yet you're still called to believe, to repent, and to follow, right? But you can't save yourself. You know that you can't sanctify yourself, yet you're still called to be sanctified and to, and to pursue holiness, right? And so we understand how this works. I mean, we don't understand how it works. God, only God understands how that all comes together perfectly. But we understand that God is always at work. And that we're also called to a level of responsibility. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a you. Knowing that it is God who is at work, right? And so that's maybe the best way you can describe it. Same thing with parenting. You can't save your kids' souls, but you better lead them to Christ because that's your role. You can't save your kids' souls, but you better teach them the word of God so they know it because that's your role. You can't save your kids' souls, but you must teach them holiness and sanctification and Christ-likeness. That's your role. Does that make sense? So don't go, well, you know, God is sovereign and he predestines those he saves and I can't ever, I can't ever save them, so I just have to let's see what the Lord does. It's like, that's not, no, the Lord will do his thing, but you're going to be responsible if you don't do your part when you stand before him. Does that make sense? And so you have to, you have to understand we have a responsibility and a stewardship. The fourth part of that is we have the responsibility to discipline his children when they're moving away from him. And they all will. You did, right? Did you not go astray? Did you not run from him? Even if you grew up in this nice, you know, you look great on the outside and you were in the church. At some point before you came to the Lord, you had to have gotten to the point where you realized that what is on the outside does not match what's on the inside. Now, I may look good and I may say all the right words, but what's happening up here is not okay with the Lord and I'm going to hell. Does that make sense? So all of us have to get to that point where we see we, have, we, we are separated from him and you need to teach your children. So as they are straying from him, they're walking in disobedience, not submitting, and they're not honoring, then you pull them back in through discipline and instruction, pointing them to Christ. Um, and, uh, and grandparents, too. I threw that in there. I know I got in a lot of trouble when I told everybody that it's not okay for you to spoil your grandkids. <laughs> I meant don't, you can have fun with them, but don't think like I'm done. It's like you are a matriarch or a patriarch of the family. Like live that way. Man, love those kids. Have fun with them. 
But make sure that, you know, in all that, that you are a living example of a lifetime of faithfulness. You know, you may be, well, I just came to the Lord three years ago. Well, then show them what it looks like for a grandma to come to the Lord at 73. You know, I mean, that's a great testimony to the grace of Christ, too. So whatever it is, even grandparents, don't forsake that calling that you have with both your children and your grandchildren. And again, I'm totally speaking without any experience here, but I imagine you guys would tell me that this is, this is, this is what we do as grandma and grandpa. We want to be an example of Christ-likeness. Uh, and the next part, the goal of parents, and I wanted to throw this out there real quick too because this comes out a lot, especially with younger parents, but the goal of parents, the next blank, is faithfulness. Write that down. You're called to be faithful. That's the goal. Sometimes parents will try to instruct their child, and and they did it twice, and the kid didn't listen. And they're like, I don't know what to do. It's like, keep doing it. I spanked my kid three times. It didn't work. What do you mean worked? Like, you're called to be faithful. You're not called to make it work. You know, you're not called to save their soul. You're called to be faithful. And so, again, sometimes, because things aren't happening, the, the outcome isn't what we expected then we, then we stop doing what it, we're called to do. Does that make sense? We're called to be faithful and keep being faithful no matter what the outcome is. You may spank, you may instruct, you may love, you may shepherd, and they may hate you forever. You still be faithful. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter what the outcome is. What matters is are you faithfully being a godly dad or a godly mom according to what the Lord has called you to be. So the outcome is not our goal, and the outcome is not what the Lord expects from us. Faithfulness is what the Lord expects. He will deal with the outcome, but you can't blame the outcome on him if you lacked faithfulness in the process. Does that make sense? And if you, if you, don't, if you don't submit to him in, in your role... And then your children turn out to hate the Lord. You can't say, well, I mean, yeah, I tried. It's like, did you or, 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 or did you fail? You know, so our goal is faithfulness. Faithfulness is, this is faithfulness, living consistently with integrity in obedience to the commands and responsibility given to us in the Bible. So you keep coming back to the word. That ought to be humbling enough for you. I mean, you're going to see if you're a faithful man or woman, then I imagine that you are constantly seeing all the areas where you lack faithfulness. Does that make sense? That's what faithfulness does. Faithfulness very quickly is able to assess the holes and the gaps and the sin and the lack of faithfulness. And so it's get back up and be faithful. Faithfulness requires patience, persistence, and perseverance. Faithfulness, if, 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 you, if you live 40 years and you were faithful for the first three, is that faithfulness? No. If you live 40 years and you were faithful for the first 30, is that faithfulness? Now, faithfulness is to the end. Are you going to have ups and downs? Absolutely. Are you going to have windows where you're not being as faithful as you were or you're being you're maybe even neglectful? Absolutely. But faithfulness repents and gets uh, a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up and keeps running. Because a righteous man never stops pursuing righteousness. If he does, then he becomes unrighteous. Does that make sense? And if you quit pursuing faithfulness, then you become unfaithful. Faithfulness is dependent upon the grace, strength, and love of Christ, and faithfulness is the fruit of a life controlled by the Spirit, submissive to the Lord and others. So our role is to, we're stewards of God's children, and the goal is to be faithful. So what is the role? The next page is the role of parents. This is what the Lord lays out for us. Uh, and, and um, oops, I got on the wrong page here. The role of parents. And the first thing 
that we are called uh, to pursue is parents must pursue holiness. Role number one, if you want to say it that way, is you must pursue holiness uh, in your life in front of your children. And I'm getting this as a positive command off a negative command from Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3, 21. The first command, and in fact, Colossians 3, this is the only command. <laughs> I mean, look at Colossians 3. Parents, what do you do? Don't exasperate your children. That was, that was the instruction. I know, but what do I do? Don't exasperate them. That's it. And then in Ephesians 6, do not provoke your children to anger. And then he gives you the positive, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. But twice, it was very important with an imperative negative command for Paul to say, do not provoke and do not exasperate your children. In Colossians 3.21, he tells us, so that they will not lose heart. In other words, this is something that's easy for us to do as big grown-ups to little kids, is to provoke and to exasperate our children. Now, again, I think this is something easy for us to do no matter how big our children get. But, but the, the positive of that is we have to pursue holiness. This negative command is to both parents. However, listen to this, guys, because I know you struggle with anger and impatience. The head of the family is the father, and the imperative charge begins with him and belongs to him. Don't ever forget that. So we lead. We lead the family, and we got to lead the family in holiness. And we got to lead the family by not provoking and exasperating our children. When men abdicate their role, everyone suffers. The father's example is, primary, is the primary influence in the home, and the mother should, should submit to his lead. Um, in William Farley's book, he says, Example is the first principle of parenting. This should not surprise us. Parenting is about leadership. And example is the first principle of biblical leadership. When parents practice what they teach, God gives them moral authority in their children's eyes. All teaching in the Bible starts with example. So hypocrisy is one of the greatest things that's going to cause our children to be exasperated and provoked. You're calling them to live away, speak away, think away, and do something that you yourself are not practicing. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. But do not provoke. It means to, do not cause them to be angry. Do not exasperate them. Do not agitate or annoy them. And do not exasperate. The word means do not irritate, stir them up, or cause them to resent you. Now, what causes provocation and exasperation? Sin. And guess what? You all, we all have it. <laughs> Fathers and mothers and children are all sinners. So sin is going to happen. Sin causes provocation. If you look at it biblically, ongoing patterns of selfishness, anger, anxiety, or pride manifest in the parent will provoke the child. So these are things that we're all, we all have to be fighting. We all have to be putting off and putting on. These are the things that are going to provoke a child. An inconsistent or non-existent pursuit of holiness and righteousness will provoke the child. Forgetting, neglecting, or rejecting the commands of God, complaining towards God, rebelling against God, will provoke both the Lord and your family. And again, I think a great example is the Old Testament, watching Israel provoke the Lord over and over and over. Um, And they provoked him uh, with their deeds, they provoked him with their words, they complained, they grumbled, God blessed them, and they continued to grumble and complain against him. And God is, is perfect. God is holy. So it shows you that even sinlessness can be provoked by sin. Does that make sense? Now, again, God is different in his provocation than we are. God is different in his anger than we are. We can't be righteously angry for more than a split second without our sinfulness coming in on that, and and it, it becomes sinful anger very quickly. But the point is, is sin provokes. It even provokes a holy God. And so your sin, your patterns and habits of sin, can be provocations 
to your children and can exasperate them. Uh, Parents cannot entertain sin in their own lives that will cause his children to be provoked and will ultimately bring reproach to his name, making his word seem burdensome or insufficient or causing his character to be maligned, making his children rebel against him. I mean, think about that. You don't want to be the cause and the reason they they walked away from the Lord. Um, Making uh, the sins of the world seem safe or appealing, all because we profess to be led by him. We took his name, but we live sinful, duplicitous, and hypocritical lives. That's, that's That's a major thing for any of us. I mean, again, your children, my children, may not come to know the Lord. I mean, me and my wife talk about that all the time. We, we, we pray for them every day, but we, we're, 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 we have seen men walking ahead of us. We can read the Bible, and we can look at things that have happened behind us, and we know that there is no guarantee that our children will be Christians. But I want to make sure that it's not because I'm a hypocrite, and they see the duplicity. They see the neglect, and they see the lack of character in me, fully knowing that I sin every day against them. Does that make sense? We must pursue Christ. So if they forsake him, they can't point to mom or dad and go, you're the reason. Does that make sense? Um, and again, I mean, they, they, they can do that in their own exasperation or their own anger, but you want to make sure that it, it doesn't have validity to it. For the sake of his name, for the sake of our children, we must exemplify godly, holy, pure character in the homes at all times. And when we fall short, listen to this, and we will, we must repent and we must humble ourselves in front of our children so that they can witness our submission and allegiance to Christ, even in our weakness and frailty. Think about that. Yes, you need to live in holiness in front of them. And you will sin against them every day. So then you need to show them what repentance looks like, what humility looks like, what submission to Christ looks like, and then what getting back up and following after him looks like, right? If you try to cover that, or if you don't acknowledge that, then you're only reinforcing the hypocrisy. So your sin actually becomes a tool that the Lord will use to teach your children how to interact and react when they sin. And make sure you're taking advantage of those moments, uh, because you don't want to pretend to be something you're not. Oh, absolutely. If you sin in front of your children, if you sin... Uh, toward your children, you must ask their forgiveness. Because if not, then you've you got a problem with the Lord. Uh, so you need to be asking your children to forgive you. And again, how, how are they going to learn how to ask for forgiveness if they don't see an example in you? You need to show your children what reconciliation looks like, both you and them or them and their sibling. If you don't do that, then how are they going to know how to do that? Again, the, you, you have the role. So sin is a tool that the Lord will use in your family to help them to see how to, how to interact with others when there's sin. You just need to make sure you're giving the right example. If you're, if you're not acknowledging your sin, if you're too proud to admit your sin, well, then you're teaching them that we acknowledge sin, but we don't have to do anything about it when we do it, you know, which you're just teaching them hypocrisy. So you need to imitate God, uh, imitate Christ-like love, and pursue holiness. i gotta, I got to move. God, um, God never provokes his children to sin, so think about that. That's Satan's scheming, and I think that's a good point, too. Again, you're going to sin... But you don't want to be the provoker, right? Because that's Satan's job. Um, I just threw in some verses here just to let you, you know, Ephesians 4, 26, 27, be angry, do not sin. Uh, do not let the sun go down your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. If you've been angry with your children, and I know you have, get in there and make that right quickly. 
Don't give Satan an opportunity to fill their mind with all of this bitterness, hatred, resentment towards you. You get in there and you squash that. And you say, I was wrong. I never should speak to you like that. I always tell you, you can't do this with your sister. I must make sure that I'm doing the same thing. Does that make sense? You get in there and you shepherd their heart and their soul. Not only are you repenting, are you doing the right thing, and are you show, but you're showing your child an example of what they should do next time they get angry with their sister. Does that make sense? So, again, don't give the devil an opportunity because of your own pride. Matthew 19, Matthew 18, both of those. Uh, Jesus, speaking of children, saying, Do not hinder them from coming to me. And whoever causes one of these little ones to, uh, who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to drown himself. So, again, it just reminds you how serious the Lord takes the provocation of his little children. And, 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 and again, he's talking about his born-again children, but he's using the example of a little child. And so if it wasn't true of these little children, if he didn't really love the little children, he's only talking of his grown-up children, then the analogy makes no sense. He loves little kids, and he loves his grown-up children who believe just like the little ones. Does that make sense? Now, we're not saying they're not sinless. We're not saying they're born again. We're just saying he loves kids. They're teachable. They're impressionable. They're given to us to know him. we got to make sure that we're not the ones leading them away from him. We want to be leading them towards him by our actions and our words. Um, so don't make unreasonable demands on them. Don't do things that will drive them to anger, despair, resentment. Uh, Paul's words about provoking a child suggest a repeated, ongoing pattern of behavior on the part of the parents that over time builds up and makes the child more and more frustrated and angry. Again, remember that. That's all of our lives. It's patterns. It's repeated things uh, that exasperate. That came from John MacArthur's Brave Dad. It was a, it's a great book for, for men. Uh, here's some habits that provoke and exasperate children. And actually, on the back of your little packet there, I included uh, two lists out of three different books uh, that are back there. Um, one is uh, uh, What the Bible Says About Parenting from John MacArthur. The other is The Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo. And the third one is uh, The Faithful Parent by Martha Peace and Stuart Scott. All of them list, uh, give lists of things that exasperate children. And you need to read them because you're like, I do like all those. you know, And uh, they're good to, to read through. But here's four, I just thought, the main things. First is hypocrisy in the home. If you're telling them to trust, submit, obey the Lord, and then you're not submitting to the same standard... They are that you are you're you're going to be the reason that they that they grow up and not don't believe in the Lord. Overprotection, trying to control every circumstance in their life in order to satisfy your lack of trust in God, that will exasperate your children. Instead of teaching them and training them to grow and develop, if you overindulge your children, you give them everything they want. If you meet their desires, the desires they have, the desires of their mind, the desires of their flesh, and you feed them with the things of the world. Rather than training them to be content and self-controlled and disciplined and selfless and submissive, then you are, you're, you're just pushing them down the path of worldliness. Or prideful privacy and isolation. Again, a lot of times because we're afraid of what people think about us, we internalize our family sin and we, we, uh, we conceal sin. Now, again, I'm not saying you need to go tell everybody all your sin, but you need people in your life and in your home that can help you as a godly man and a godly woman. Uh, and that's part of being a part of the church. I mean, that's what we're doing right here. And you need people to be able to speak into your life because if you internalize and conceal sin and you keep everything in the family, and a lot of times people will say, well, I just don't want to burden others with my problems. But that's our, that's our job as a church, is to be burdened by your problems so that we can come alongside one another for edification and admonishment. 
then you're teaching your children to cut themselves off from the body of Christ. You don't want to do that. You don't want to teach your children that, that we, keep, we keep all of our problems right here. The church has nothing to do with that. We'll handle that ourselves. You're teaching, them to, you're, you're teaching them to grow up and to be cut off from the body when it comes to the very things that the body was built to work on. Does that make sense? And so, again, out of our own pride, we can teach our children something that becomes destructive to their future families. Uh, the next page. So parents must pursue holiness. And the next thing the Lord calls us to is that parents must practice discipline. Parents must practice discipline. This is the positive command um, that, that comes after the negative. Do not provoke, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The positive man to, to bring them up, it means to train them, to nourish them, to cherish them, to raise them up, to provide for them, and to shepherd them towards maturity. So that's what we say. When we say bring them up, that's what we're talking about. Parents must bring their children up as Christ brings up the church. The same words are used uh, in Ephesians 5 and 4 uh, to talk about how Christ nourishes and cherishes his church. He doesn't just save our soul and be like, all right, I'll see you in heaven. He saves us, and then he nourishes and cherishes up and builds us up and makes us more and more like him and brings us to himself. Does that make sense? That's what we're called to do with our children. Um, Ephesians 4, he talks about how this happens in the church. He gives apostles, pastors, evangelists, so people that are teaching God's word for this reason, to equip them for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ, to unify them in faith, to give them a full knowledge of Christ, to bring them to maturity. And the level of maturity, you know when you're done, when they look exactly like Jesus Christ. That's our role as parents. That's, that's what Christ is doing in the church. And then parents, in the same way, take these little ones that I've entrusted to you and, and equip them, uh, uh, teach them, build them up, help them to understand the faith, help them to know Christ until they look just like me, fully knowing that you can't save their souls. But that's the role. Does that make sense? We build them up, we bring them up, we nourish them, and we cherish them like Christ does us. And then Ephesians 6.4 tells us exactly how we are to do that. We are to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do I bring my children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Again, I told you, you don't need 75,000 books. you got two verses here that give you plenty. There's some other plenty. I mean, the, the whole word of God is your, your counsel, but, but these two verses give you everything you need to know. So you bring them up in discipline. So what does it mean to, oh, your blank there is discipline. Discipline means to provide instruction, to provide correction, to provide training with the intent. Here's the purpose of the correction and the training. To form proper habits and behavior so that we are aligned with what is right. Now, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not talking about trying to change the outside and leaving the heart behind. I'm just saying that what discipline does is it trains up so that, that, that what is right is, is being accomplished. Absolutely, with a child and with a human being, that you're, you're aiming at the heart because you want the heart to be trained and the heart to be disciplined so that it's coming out of the heart of the child and it's not just manipulation in order to obey you to get whatever they want out of you. So bottom line for sure. But what is behind discipline is correction and training with the intent of forming proper habits. And those proper habits are repentance, belief, following Christ. So don't, don't look at this as behavior modification. That's not at all what we're saying. We're saying train them up in Christ. The whole thing. 
It's the same word used to describe training in righteousness in 2 Timothy 3 and discipline of the Lord in Hebrews 12, which gives you a very good uh, understanding of how to do this. So how does God do this with us? Go and do likewise with your children. The Lord instructs us with his truth from his own lips, uh, from his word. He disciplines us through endurance, perseverance, conviction, suffering, trials, testing, distress, loss, pain, because he loves us and will not forsake us, which is really important. Uh, actually, I forgot to bring it, but there's a book called The Age of Opportunity that basically is talking about um, uh, parents with teenagers. And the reason he calls it The Age of Opportunity is because he's saying all these things that, that uh, parents of teenagers look at as like the, the horrible years. And you're just trying to get through those years and get on the other side. And if you make it on the other side and there's still an arm and a leg attached, then we're good, you know, sort of thing. And he's saying all of the hardest stuff, that's the meat Though all the, the fights and the, the wrong thinking and, the, and the, 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 the insecurities and all the things that come out during adolescence, that, those are the opportunities. And it's the same thing in our life. It is the loss. It is the poverty. It is the sickness and the disease. It's the pain and the suffering and the persecution. Those are the opportunities. Those are the very things that God uses to drive us to himself. We don't pray those things away and we don't try to hide from them and get to heaven without getting scars. You, you, those are the things that the Lord's ordained for you to see your sinfulness, to see your dependence on him, to force you on your knees to pray to him, to cause you to cling to him. Does that make sense? It's the trials that are the meat. And we, don't, we don't love suffering for the sake of suffering. We love suffering because of what Christ produces through the suffering. He produces holiness. He produces Christ-likeness. He produces love. And so bring that back to our children. It's the hardships that are the best part. We have to retrain our mind to think that way as parents. And it's those things that the Lord has ordained to help discipline them to him. So it is their wrong choices, and it is their rebellion, and their wrong thinking. It is their disobedience that the Lord has given to us so that we can take that and then train them, discipline them towards him. Does that make sense? So remember that. Discipline and instruction are are the, the method that we bring them up. But discipline necessarily requires sinfulness. So, again, don't think you're trying to create a sinless being. You can't, you're not that, and you can't produce that. You're trying to help your child to know what to do when they sin. Now, the first thing you're teaching them is run to Christ because you don't want to face his wrath. Um, anyway, so First uh, Timothy talks about all Scripture is profitable for teaching and proof uh, correction. And then here's the same word for discipline, training in righteousness. So... There's a good understanding. What does discipline look like? It's training in righteousness according to the word of God. God's given us everything in his word sufficient for this, and he trains us, he disciplines us in righteousness through his living word. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, uh, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines in love because he loves us. He will not lose us, and he won't forsake us. Therefore, he disciplines us. The Bible always connects discipline with love. The world connects discipline with hatred. Do you understand that? The world tells you discipline is hatred. God says discipline is love. Who do you trust, and what are you going to do about it? It always connects discipline with his love, especially in the family relationship, in our relationship with Christ. In fact, God equates, look at this, a lack of discipline with both hatred and illegitimacy. A lack of discipline either shows a hatred toward you or it proves that you actually don't belong to the family. 
I don't discipline your kids, right? They're not my kids. You discipline your kids because you love them. And, 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 and it's the same thing. If, if God is not disciplining you, that is good reason to go. Do I belong to him? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds the rod, withholds discipline, hates his son. Again, you can be like, well, you know, I didn't spank my kids and I love them. you got to wrestle with this verse. If you withhold discipline from your children and you think that's love, you have a problem with God. And you have got to figure that out. It is not okay. You cannot stand there and go, well, I don't discipline and I love. Because now you're fighting the word of God. That would be like saying, well, I don't repent and I'm a believer. Well, I don't love this person and I'm fine with God. You can't fight like that. Or you can, but you just understand who you're fighting against. You're not fighting against other Christians who have different opinions than you. You're fighting against the word of God. And you'll stand in judgment, or it will stand in judgment against you one day. Hebrews 12.8 says, If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, speaking of Christians, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Again, the Lord loves those he disciplines, and he disciplines those he loves. Discipline is what causes our endurance. Again, think about that. It goes back to what we said about trials. It is discipline that causes us to endure. You want to make it to heaven? You want to faithfully persevere to the end? It requires discipline. Self-discipline as we fight our sin and heavenly discipline as he drives us towards him. You cannot come to him. You can't remain in him. And you'll never make it to him in your own strength, in your own fervor, in your own holiness and goodness and godliness. That leads to hell. That doesn't lead to Christ. Those who belong to him, he disciplines all the way there because we would fall off that road left and right every which way. I remember reading the Pilgrim's Progress for the first time a couple years ago, and it was, it's, it's us. I mean, we're just walking along, and this guy's like, come over here, this is better. Like, okay. And he's like, come over here, okay. You know I mean? That's, that's what we do. We got to have God going, no, bringing it back, you know, consequences in our life, big revelations that humble us, his word that breaks us, and he just drives us towards himself. And your children need the same thing, and that's your role. Your role is to be there going, nope, come back over here. Those are bad friends. Get back over here. Don't watch that. Get back over here. You've got to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You know, you've got to be bringing them back in, left and right. Discipline is what causes our endurance. It's what produces perseverance. It's what cultivates sanctification. It, and it is what assures our final culmination in Christ. We cannot complete the race without discipline. And parents are called to discipline their children so that they grow up to fear, love, know, and obey Christ. Again, I don't know how many times I got I just want to make sure no one's out there going, but I can't save my kid. No one's saying that. You're called to discipline and instruct so they know the Lord. Leave the, the salvation of their soul in his court. You just be faithful. Hebrews 12, 7 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then Hebrews uh, 12, 10 through 11, he disciplines us for our benefit. I mean, teach your children that. Teach them. You know what's so crazy? I mean, this didn't happen often. I, I can only remember one time. But I remember one time when we were praying at night, one of my little girls thanked God that we spanked her and disciplined her because she knew it was for her good. That was crazy. I wish I prayed like that. <laughs> I'm always like, God, please take it away. God, this is awful. I hate this. God, will you please change my circumstances? You know, but again, if you're teaching your children the right things, they 
they're going to admonish you. Not necessarily like saying something like, they're going to do it through their own actions. They're going to be obeying you, and you're like, I don't obey God like that. They're going to be submitting to you, and you're going to be like, I don't submit to the Lord like that. So their own character and words and behavior will often become rebukes to their parents, and, and they have no idea, but you do, and you're just like, I'm a hypocrite. But anyway, she got this, at least that one prayer, that he disciplines us for our benefit <laughs> so that we may share his holiness. Again, that's why he does it. That's why we go through trials. God's not out there being like, you need a trial. You need a persecution. He's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it for our benefit here, and he's doing it so that we share in his holiness forever. And you want to do the same thing for your children. Discipline them so that they will one day share in the holiness of Christ. That's why you're doing it. So again, going back to the whole like uh, faithfulness thing, you know, I tried. It didn't work. It's like, well, then keep trying. Uh, your goal is, is to be faithful, is to be persistent, is to be consistent. Um, he says, to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the fruit of righteousness. You must discipline your children because you're commanded by God and because you love them. I think those are the two, that's the bottom line. Love disciplines, and God commands it. That's why we discipline our children, because we love them, and God has called us to do it, and we love him. Discipline must be, I think you got some blanks here. Discipline must be first consistent. We're obviously not going to finish, so if you're looking at it going, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not going to finish today. Discipline must be consistent. That means you, you have to have clarity, precision, purpose, uh, with the main goal in mind, which is, like I said at the beginning, the heart of the child. Again, it's not behavior modification. You're aiming at the heart every time. And I have learned that that changes all the way through, how to, how to discern the heart. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, loving, uh, the next part, it has to be loving. Your discipline must be loving. Our Father disciplines us in love. Think about that. God disciplines his children in love. God pours out judgment on his enemies with wrath. Make sure your discipline is not in wrath because that is not at all ever what God is like, and that is not how he disciplines. Uh, your discipline must be biblical. you got to be teaching. Part of the discipline process is teaching, teaching them what the Lord says in his word, teaching them how they offended God, teaching them how to repent, teaching them how to reconcile, teaching them what they do when they have sinned. Your discipline must be painful. It has to be painful. Seriously, if, if it's not painful, it's not discipline. I mean, think about that in your life. If, if th- think about this. This is a good context. Think about the people that you know that have a lot of money. And when hardship comes, what do they do? They got money, they put the money towards it, and they get out of the hardship pretty easily. Now, again, it's not to say there's no born-again people that are rich. It's just to say they don't have to walk through the same kind of trials and testing and hardship that people that don't have the means to do that are able to do. The pain itself is what's going to drive us to submission, obedience, and love, and reverence, and all those things. And so the same thing with your children. If, 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 if you inflict on them some discipline to drive them to Christ, but it's not a deterrent to keep them from the thing that actually had enticed them, then it's not discipline. Does that make sense? That's just part of it. Discipline must be painful. It's got to conquer stubbornness. It's got to break the will. It's got to help them see the consequence of their sin. Think about you. Think about how many times you continued to run back to the same sin because there was no, there was no either outside discipline to help you or you lacked the fear of the Lord that didn't cause you to repent, you know, when you read his word. And it took something painful for that thing to hit you upside the face and you to realize this is detrimental to my soul, to my life, to my family, to my children, to my friends, to my church. 
and it broke you, right? And it was painful, and you're still living with the scars of it right now. And so think about that with your children. Your discipline has to come with pain or it won't be a deterrent. Again, in love, in instruction, in, with consistency, and the next one, it has to be affectionate. I always say this, and this is something that we did in our family, and I learned this from someone else. But when, when our girls were little and we spanked them, as soon as the spank was administered, we held them until they stopped crying, and we told them we loved them the whole time. I mean, it's, your discipline must, must be married with affection, and they have to see your love. And the only reason you're doing this is because you love them, and they got to feel that love. And then finally, your discipline must be gospel-centered. Again, this goes back to the heart thing. But every opportunity is an opportunity to remind them, this is why you need Jesus Christ. Yeah, you disobeyed. And that's why you need Christ. Discipline must be immediate, decisive, age-appropriate. It must cause sorrow. It must be painful so that your child sees the effects of sin. It must be delivered with love, patience, compassion, sympathy, meekness, instruction, and fear. It must be repeated until you win the battle. And you've got to break their will. And you've got to win the battle. Because it's a battle, ultimately, like I said, for their, their desires, their affections, their heart, and their mind. That's what we're talking about here. It's not behavior modification. You, you, can, you can get a child to obey you because of what they get out of it. But who cares? Because as soon as they don't get out of it what they want to get out of it, then they're, they're going to go right back to whatever drives them. You're aiming at the heart. And I threw in these Proverbs, and we'll end here, um, just to remind you of what the Lord says. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And you will strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Do you understand? Again, that's, the, that's what William Farley said at the beginning. We are, doing, we are parenting with our eyes on eternity. We're parenting so that our, for the day of judgment of our children. And that's what this proverb is saying. Strike your child now so that you save him from eternal judgment. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So remember that. Um, don't, do not let your child get what he wants. And then Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. That's how we're born. That's what we are. It's the rod of discipline that removes it from him. So I definitely did not fin- Oh, we almost got done. All right, we'll finish it up next week. But uh, I thought we had like five more pages. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll finish this next week. So, I, huh? Ah, of all weeks. <laughs> next week's Easter. All right, let me, let me pray for us. We'll be done. 